Hello and welcome to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation, from academic discussions happening in our journal to interviews with filmmakers and artists and global perspectives on health and medicine from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and to the humanities, because life happens at the intersections. I'm Brandy Skilache, Editor-in-Chief of Medical Humanities, and today I've caught up with Dr. Sarah Wasson, who published in our special June issue on pain and paradoxes. Dr. Wasson is an English literature and creative writing professor. She focuses a lot on the Gothic, particularly Gothic in World War II, and Gothic science fiction, and she has an interest in organ transplant. But today we're going to talk a little bit about her work in medical humanities. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Brandy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us. Um, I wanted to start first, because we tend to do, with asking you, what does medical humanities mean to you and how do you see yourself working within it? That's such a great question, because I I think there will be a huge range of answers to that for really each critic. Um, For me, I find it a really helpful term because it's so capacious. Um, H. Martin Evans gave a really useful definition of it back in 2008, where he singled out three strands, really, of medical humanities. And um, we're, of course, all very familiar with two of those strands, the way that medical humanities, as it was early conceived, could work as a marvellous humanising element for medical practitioners and teachers, um, and can also enrich and humanise the healthcare practice more broadly for others. But for me, I must say that um, the approach I find most exciting um, really views it more as an intellectual and cultural studies project as well, Um, by which I mean taking the skills of humanities disciplines, um, and within that I would include literary analysis, cultural studies analysis, um, and also I would say social science work, particularly anthropology, social science, ethnography, and then takes those critical skills and brings them to bear on scenarios and environments that characterize the medical in a really broad sense. So seeing medical humanities as a a kind of intellectual inquiry, a challenging zone, really, um, where medicine is interrogated, just like any other social practice um, in which humans engage. And as a result, so um, the kinds of question that I find myself very exercised by concern things like representation, power, inequalities, ideologies, um, and um, these kinds of concern, which we look at so much in literary studies in other social spheres, but to bring those critical skills to bear on medical and health contexts. So that's, that's where I would go with it. Um, as a kind of meeting of disciplinary strategies. Right, and that's excellent because, of course, that's a lot of how we envision it here at Medical Humanities as a journal. And we've added to that um, an interest in the global context. But for today, I want to talk a bit about the public nature of medical humanities as well because, of course, the pain and paradoxes issue of June 2018 was really engaging with a theme that affects everyone, right? It's not just doctors and patients, but everyone has experiences 
of pain. And I wonder, could you say a bit more about the importance of your your present work in pain and how that connects to a wider public? Yes, I think you've made a really valuable point there. Um, it's pain is full of so many paradoxes, really. Um, on the one hand, we all experience it and we all have loved ones and see others experience it. Yet there's also this uh, perennial challenge around representing it and communicating that experience and in some cases being believed or understood. So it's a, a really strange um, concatenation of, of circumstances and it affects, as you've said, everybody um, in a range of very diverse ways. And I would absolutely agree that um, we need to listen in terms of a kind of public context. One of the things that was so um, really uh, humbling and gratifying about being part of the pain and paradoxes special issue has been the response those um the essays have received um it's been very moving to um have the kinds of uh replies that um i i received after i wrote that and i'm very grateful to be part of the conversation around these issues um i think when it comes to um sometimes people suggest that well sometimes it's been suggested that literary work, uh, often in, in looking at narrative abstraction, is somehow maybe too detached from real life. Yet what I found is really quite shockingly relevant is the way that these issues of narrative crisis, of representational crisis, are absolutely core to the experience of so many people living with chronic pain. Um, with the caveat, of course, that there's no generalization can be made about uh, people living with chronic pain because the diversity we experience in that category is so enormous. And that's another challenge then there too, because it means multiplying narratives and multiplying narrative forms to try and do justice to that variety of experience. And the problem, I think the reason that I wanted to bring this project about in the first place, um, concerns how... it the experience of pain and the experience of supporting others in pain can sometimes really break the expectations of what a story is supposed to look like and do. Um, the, the article that I wrote emerged from a long-term project that I'm running at Lancaster University called Transmitting Chronic Pain. And the focus of that is looking at uh, a range of non-traditional narrative representations and representations that perhaps stretch the concept of narrative to almost breaking point um, to think about meeting some of those representational difficulties in new ways. And um, that project has been hatched in uh, collaboration with pain charities um, and with patient groups. Um, and many of the academics involved live with pain as I'm one of them, um, and we all bring very diverse experiences to it. And the, the, the thing that's been informing it oh, right from the beginning and that's come out so clearly from every participant really has been the um, litany of invisibility and the agony of that invisibility that can um, happen when one's story is not only not tellable, but not even hearable either. There's, so that... Um, that, that real urgency around representation has been driving what we've been doing. That's fascinating. And I know that you're also involved in an arts council uh, a project as well. Did you want to say something about that? Because it sounds like it's very related. 
Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's the um, Arts and Humanities Research Council. And as part of the, the scholastic dimension, which I've outlined just there, but you're absolutely right, there's a creative dimension too. And it's um, we've got a website, Translating Pain, um, Google finds it if you want searches. Um, and as that, um, we've assembled an online anthology of what I'm calling flash writing around pain, five to 150 words, sometimes accompanied with a single image. Some are in the form of graphic medicine, of you know, brief glimpses of sequential art, and some are prose, some are poetry, but they're all about moments or glimpses of experience, very condensed, um, very resistant to the usual um, arcs of um, illness writing, uh, expectations of that. And it's been astonishing and, again, a, a very um, moving resource to be curating. We've got 70 entries up so far from six different countries. And it's only been live for six months. Um, and I'm going to be keeping it open and welcoming submissions for another 12 months. So um, we're hoping it's going to develop. And it's, a, it's Creative Commons 4.0. And that's actually quite an important detail for us because we wanted to make sure that it was the fragments were available to our pain patient charity collaborators and to the public and to anyone else who wants to um, engage with this work and savor it and the, again the responses have been very moving um, and i think this creative dimension is really exciting and uh, really has a lot to teach the um, academic side of it as well um, that there's a lot rather than seeing it as a kind of one directional outreach where narrative theory is going to go out and inflict itself on an unsuspecting populace. Um, it's rather the other way around. It's um, from which the whole project's emerging from, from the ground up, from trying to listen to chronic pain, patient experience, and people living with chronic pain who may or not be patients, um, and to come up with diverse responses to that, that those particular plights that can attend those positions. That's that's fascinating. And I, I'm interested, too, because of the nature of embodied pain, uh, the, the sense that or embodied trauma, I should say, and the pain that comes from that. And that this experience is sometimes um, brushed under the rug or or rather um, you're told that the person suffering from the pain is is given strategies by medicine rather than providing strategies or coming up with strategies in the context of a conversation. And as you know, conversation is a big part of what medical humanities as a journal really seeks to support and to do. And so I think um, when you, whenever we say the word patient, you, you necessarily kind of create a relationship where it seems like if there's a patient, there's a doctor, and the, the authority seems to lean towards the doctor. And I, I think projects like this one and your other work on reaching a wider public and using narrative and literature to do so kind of breaks that boundary and gets around some of those problems. That's, uh, I'm nodding so much as you're talking. I absolutely agree. I, I think there's a, a really something rather wonderful in, um, you know, kind of shutting up and listening to the people, experience of people living with pain, as it were, and trying to um, understand about uh, the diverse embodied experience um, in a different way. And I would also um, reinforce your comments there um, by drawing on the rather exciting work, I think, that's emerging in from what's often called critical medical humanities lately, which is trying to do things like complicate the physician-patient dyad a bit. Um, and so recognizing that uh, that way, as you've you know indicated, that 
pain and other illness experience um, also impact and emerge from other kinds of social broad relationship. And so I, I think it's really exciting to be thinking about narrative forms that can perhaps um, explore and capture those kinds of distributed relationship and the ways that illness also emerges from within um, and those kinds of social setup. In the UK and the US, the two countries that I work on most, um, we have uh, real situations where certain kinds of um, patient and certain people living with chronic illness are marginalised quite problematically due to things like austerity or access to healthcare, depending on um, you know the, the situation. And uh, thinking about representing that exclusion is also so interesting because it goes beyond just the already horrifying tragedies where a physician can't hear the patient, which of course are very serious tragedies and very real and do still continue. Also to in a way include situations where society can't see the person living with a chronic illness either. And so that there's the representational urgency around this feels colossal to me. Um, to, uh, try and engage a range of audiences, a range of, of representations that can kind of crack through that agonizing invisibility that can attend some of these chronic conditions. That is a fascinating and beautiful way of putting that information. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, before we sign off today, I just want to ask you a quick question, which might serve as a teaser because perhaps you'll join us again to talk about this next uh, interest. Your future work, as I understand it, has a bit to do with organ transplant. And while that's not uh, directly related to pain, it's certainly related to issues of embodiment. And so do you want to give us a quick preview of what you're looking at as we close the interview today? Sure, I'll, I'll give a, a quick glimpse. Um, the book that I'm writing now for Manchester University Press is called Transplantation Gothic. And it could be described as a kind of shadow cultural history of transplantation um, representation in the UK and the US in particular. Um, I'm really interested in um, the kinds of affect and emotion that are taboo around the processes. And again, I'm particularly fascinated in the way medicine gets woven into complex biopolitical um, and distributed social structures. Um, I am suggesting that writing in a horror and rather haunted mode can sometimes uh, access something about the subjective experience of all kinds of people in certain processes that can sometimes otherwise be hard to see. So again, rather slightly the dark side, but hopefully illuminating in the process. Brilliant. Thank you. And again, I really I like this concept of visibility versus invisibility. And I do want to just remind our audience that Medical Humanities as a journal is very interested in trying to hear voices that are often unheard. This is reflected both in our outreach to the public and also our global reach and our interest in hearing from a broader global context. Thank you, Sarah, for being with us today. We're so glad you could join us at Medical Humanities. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brandy. Thank you for listening to the Medical Humanities podcast. Stay in touch by reading the journal or our blog online. Just follow the links in the episode description. We're also on Twitter at medhams underscore BMJ or find us on Facebook. Until next time.